Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary. May is one of my favorite months because we honor and celebrate the Blessed Virgin Mary. We crown her statues in our churches and we resolve more Marian prayers in our own life. We can honor the Blessed Mother in so many different ways, and my new book, How They Love Mary, explains that. But another way, beside the devotion and the prayers that we pray, that we can honor the Blessed Mother is perhaps by wearing socks that depict the image of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I was so excited to see that Sock Religious has a new Our Lady of Fatima sock that they just released this month. And if you are a big devotee of Fatima, I encourage you to buy a pair of those socks and to wear them proudly during the month of May. They have other Marian socks as well, including Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of La Leche, and other Marian designs. Head over to Sock Religious by clicking the link in the show notes and get your Marian socks and celebrate the month of May in style. My name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. And now we are on lesson two from the book, How They Love Mary, recently released by Sophia Institute Press. Last week on Monday, we heard from Father Irvin Caliente, who spoke and shared about St. Damien of Molokai. And so today, I'm very excited to be speaking with a friend of mine that I got to know through the Mariological Society of America, Father Pascal from EWTN. He's a Franciscan missionary of the Eternal Word uh, down there in Alabama. And when I was at one of these Mariological Society meetings, he actually gave a paper on St. Francis and Mary and kind of attributes of his Marian devotion, which You'll read in the acknowledgments, actually, uh, that I, I was assisted with his help uh, in writing that chapter. So I'm very grateful to the help that he provided me uh, by furnishing me that little paper that he wrote so that then I didn't have to do all the research about uh, St. Francis and Marian devotion. But who better than to go into a deeper dive into the life of St. Francis of Assisi than with him who aided me in writing that chapter. So thanks so much for your help, your assistance, and joining me today, Father Pascal. You're welcome. Very happy to be with you, Father. Maybe the first thing, you know, your name and religion is Father Pascal. That's after St. Pascal Balon. Could, could you just share a little bit about who St. Pascal yeah. is? So St. Pascal Balon was a lay brother in the Franciscan order of, we've heard of, maybe we celebrate St. Peter of Alcantara. Well, I'm not sure if the Universal Church does as a Franciscan. I don't think so. Anyway, so he was part part of a, a reform in the in Spain uh, in the 1500s and lived uh, grew up as a shepherd as as many did and then lived a life as a a, a brother and in the this order which would be somewhat. I think they amalgamated into the Capuchins later on with with everything that happened, and but he 
would answer the door. So a very good place, if you want to be a Franciscan and be a saint, you answer the door. And, <laughs> and of course, you're feeding the poor and taking care of prayer requests and the people know you well. So he he's famous for uh, his Eucharistic devotion. He's the patron saint of Eucharistic congresses and confraternities. And it, he... Uh, died during the consecration of Mass, although he wasn't in the Mass. <laughs> uh, he was in his room. And then um, it said that during his uh, funeral, he was just laid out, and he opened his eyes during the elevation of both the the consecration of, of our Lord and the host and in the precious blood. Uh, so he, he has some rather... Uh, He's rather unknown, but I, I hope to fix that. I hope in time to do a, um, to do something to help people hear about St. Paschal and, and that his devotion to the Holy Eucharist and to Our Lady uh, would, would spread. Well, maybe two things there. The first is when I was at Mundelein Seminary studying to be a priest, there were these two pillars, one on each side of the road, and I forget who the one was, but one of them was St. Paschal Balin. And the reason being because of the International Eucharistic Congress that took place in Chicago, and they came to Mundelein, and so they have this statue there erected at the seminary, which I'm sure most people don't even know who it is or the story behind it, much like myself, why I asked you today. But if you're going to do anything with St. Paschal right now, it seems that the U.S. Uh, bishops... Eucharistic revival would be the greatest time to really bring to light uh, this man's devotion to the Holy Eucharist. Yes, I. Th- well, they started with um, oh boy, with Carlo Cutis as their real model, which is wonderful. That's a modern young man who who had a great devotion and helped spread devotion to the Holy Eucharist through highlighting his miracles. Uh, but I, I do hope in time they recognize the official patron, <laughs> although maybe in time, if uh, I, I think Carlo has a, a great future in the, in the, on the altars, so to speak, as a saint in the Church. But, uh, you know, for the meantime, that St. Pasco Balon um, would, would be this uh, great witness uh, to us. Yeah, and Blessed Carlo's devotion really resulted from Eucharistic miracles. He promoted them and had these different displays or websites that he created to tell the stories of Eucharistic miracles, where it seems, Father, or it seems that St. Paschal then has really a true, not that Blessed Carlo didn't, but really a very sincere devotion to the Holy Eucharist. Uh, from the celebration of Holy Mass and receiving Holy Communion to probably other reflections that we could glean much insight from. So so St. Paschal then was a son of St. Francis. And one of the things you mentioned was that kind of the amalgamation of different groups into or under like the Capuchins, for example. So there are lots of different branches of Franciscans. So you have the OFMs, you have the OFM conventuals, you have the Capuchins, and a lot of this comes because of the spiritualist Franciscan uh, controversy uh, back uh, in the day, which if you want to learn more, you would have to read, you know, theology history books. But that seems that 
is when a, a great breakaway happens. So you are a Franciscan missionary of the eternal word. So, of course, you're a son of St. Francis. You're not an OFM. You're not a Capuchin. So can you just maybe help us understand the whole Franciscan family? Sure. Uh, yeah, so St. Francis was a... Uh, really an up and coming young man who in in the he was born in eight, 1183 or possibly 84 but uh and in this time of of renewal in the church innocent the third was one of the the great popes and kind of in a controversial in his own way because of his greatness but he's actually the only pope uh that is found in the in the U.S. Congress, there's in the House of Representatives. I'm pretty sure it is a house where there's there's these busts of famous lawmakers um, throughout history, and his bust is actually in there. So there's there's a bust of Innocent the Third in in the U.S. Congress. Anyways, we're talking about Franciscans here. So, but uh, Saint Francis was heavily uh, encouraged by Innocent the Third. So. He had this conversion uh, of life that he had, as his father desired, you know, kind of that he would become a great knight and and have some fame. And he, he, but he, that didn't work out so well. He wasn't such a great soldier. (laughs) And um, our Lord brought him to recognize that it's better to serve the master uh, than the servant, you know, that he would. Uh, give his life uh, to our Lord, and um, we have the famous uh, San Damiano encounter where where Francis comes to this broken down church and finds this this image, which is kind of made famous now, you know, um, through Steubenville and and other reasons. But the San Damiano cross. Um, and our Lord speaks to him there and says, you know, Francis, rebuild my church for us. You can see it's falling into ruins or or other other versions say it's completely ruined. <laughs> so um, that Francis, um, as our Holy Father, Pope Francis, has highlighted to this this image of, of rebuilding. Um, and, our, and Francis, of course, in time comes to realize that it's a rebuilding of himself and he rebuilds three churches this church of uh saint damien um is first and eventually saint claire will come to live there during her life uh given also to god and then uh, the church of saint peter which uh while i the the structure still exists. It's a personal garage now, which is unfortunate. Uh, but the third uh, is really important to our discussion today too. Is the Portiuncula, the Church of uh, Our Lady of the Angels, or of, of the Little Portion, as Portiuncula is translated into Little Portion. And it's there that France at that third church that uh, Francis really hears the call of the gospel and has clarity about a deeper clarity about what God's calling him to because he hears the gospel proclaimed to to go 
and sell all and to proclaim the gospel, not to not to carry a stick, you know, but uh and he says, This is what I want, you know. So in the midst of hearing uh, the gospel in the in the very church in in a certain uh, ecclesial way in the womb of of Our Lady, the Church of Our Lady, that he's able to find clarity about uh, the will of of God for him, and it's in that time then he he becomes he begins to have followers and people come and join him and he again entrust his life calling his life um to uh the will of god and especially as the word is heard or or proclaimed in the liturgy he says i don't feel i don't basically i don't feel right <laughs> deciding what god calling you to do he talks the same uh he's not a saint but uh certainly in heaven <laughs> but not canonized uh, Bernardo Quintavalle. So they go to uh, the Church of St. Nicholas, uh, which uh, was, in a certain way, um, some say his parish church in Assisi. So he, you know, there's many churches in Assisi. Um, and un- unfortunately, the Church of San Nicolo uh, was destroyed in the earthquakes of the of the 19th century. Uh, but the the crypt is still there uh, because the crypt was part of the the ancient city of Assisi and um, opens the gospel three times in this famous biblical lottery and and comes to uh, here you know go go sell from the rich young man that go, go sell law and get to the poor, and then come follow me, then um, take up your cross. And the third one is <laughs> something similar. Dapo peribus tola crucem. And uh, I can't think of the third one right now. But uh, that, I think this is an important part for understanding Francis's Marian devotion. And, and certainly there's a truth about Marian devotion in general, is that the first intuition comes uh, for us through the proclamation of the word in in the church and in, in, in the liturgy? Um, so, um, anyways, that that is a long way around, or kind of getting to further points about uh, Saint Francis and and the Franciscan order. So, there there is a great from the very beginning with Francis. There, there was a great freedom in following the will of God as it's discovered by the individual. So that's not quite what we have today. We have kind of a, a, a rugged or uh, a radical individualism. Um, but Francis uh, had a, a, a respect while encouraging great obedience and great humility um, Although obedience also comes the word to he, to hear, uh, he he encouraged his friars to to hear the word of God and to put it into practice, and especially the word of the gospel that that that's a, a seed. Now, when it comes to to life 
in the world and in a fallen world, uh, we we can get very attached to um, our ideas about how that is, and then get very concerned that that others are doing it our way. <laughs> and uh, that can, that can, of course, that's kind of a two-edged sword in in the life of the church, but. Um, which the scripture is a two-edged sword, but uh, that um, we all have our our different uh, characters and different graces and gifts, and many uh, began to follow Francis who already had, so to speak, careers, like they were teachers and, and professors, uh, scholars, then you have artists of, of all sorts, um, architects, um, so Francis and his his radical simplicity and the radical simplicity of the early friars um, that over time um, the the community grows and grows and uh, our Lord uh, does this through the inspiration that came through Francis but you know many many uh, it said perhaps about 5,000 friars from all over the world, even England had friars by by the time of his death, um, that um, most of them had never met Francis, and uh, they didn't really preach Francis. They preached the gospel. <laughs> so um, when it comes to um, the death of Francis and some certain things and aspects of, of his life or what he encouraged the friars to do, uh, there, there was, you know, controversy, uh, and of course, at that time, they didn't have internet or uh, even printing press, <laughs> so uh, it, it took, you know, it, it was no surprise that it, with the death of a, a founder and a charismatic founder, uh, that there would kind of be differences. Uh, and over in the in the Next century, you know, towards the end of the 1200s and into the 1300s, um, kind of a radicalism that that grew up um, that uh, was um, sometimes called the spirituals, as you as you mentioned, and it's out of that. Um, it's actually out of that uh, movement or that fervor and zeal that the little flowers of St. Francis comes up. So um, that's, I think, most people's, if they've read something about St. Francis, most people would have read the little flowers of St. Francis, um, which was originally a German document and then uh, is translated into Italian and uh, published from there because uh, so the little flowers had what well, came out of this spiritualist, uh, and and there there's that's its own uh, topic, and uh, that is way far away from what <laughs> Marian devotion in the church in uh, Saint Francis. So that's a good uh, overview, kind of just looking at from the very yeah. origin of Saint Francis, and then just seeing how some of these other groups emerge. And then mm-hmm. my understanding, for example, like, for example, let's take the the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. They would have a more Capuchin bent because some of them were Capuchins uh, before mm-hmm. before the foundation of the order. Would that be a fair assessment? 
Yeah, so in the 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 Capuchins came were a reform in the time of the Reformation. So they came out of this crisis of the 1500s, and as a you know, again trying to live the radical life that uh, was viewed or begun in in the early days, and so. In the ninth, what happened is Pope Leo the Thirteenth. Um, he in in the late 1890s did this work of uh, amalgamation, uh, bringing together different Franciscan communities uh, to form what we call the th- the first three orders, the or the th- third. Yeah, so in the first orders so of the men. Uh, they, there were really dozens of Franciscan communities and they were brought together as the OFM minors, as you said, OFM caps and OFM capuchins and OFM conventuals. So in Assisi, this is seen that the conventuals have the Basilica of St. Francis, the capuchins have San Damiano and the OFM minors have the Portioncola. So, um... So it was kind of like Pope Leo XIII was like, these are going to be the three men, and you need to join one of these three. <laughs> but uh, towards towards the council, um, we have some some groups like the Friars of the Immaculate um, are, uh, so to speak, a break off of the conventuals. Uh, so we had um, that, and then the at first the CFRs again started with um I think seven or eight uh, capuchins. So at first they were they were called the Capuchin Fires of the Renewal and the Holy See got them to, to adjust their their name, but they were allowed to keep the CFRs. Um so the the Franciscan missionaries of the Eternal Word, of which I'm a member and um were we were founded by Mother Angelica in nineteen eighty seven um for the purpose of of helping the 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 sisters by pastoral care their um their um cloistered Franciscan nuns they were her order was founded in, in eighteen fifty four right um in the midst of the proclamation of the the, the Immaculate Conception um, so they claim that as their founding date, even though there's kind of some uh, a wider <laughs> foundation there. And then, um, so the Franciscan missionaries of the Eternal Word, which uh, are short, is our initials are MFEA, which is the Latin Missionari Franciscani Verbi Eterni. So, so people try to give English words for VA, but uh, so the Eternal Word. And um, so we're like a wild olive branch, and we do profess the first order rule. So, um, but we're we're low on the the totem pole. So we're a public. Association of the Christian Faithful Clerical Association. Um, so that that's there's all these distinctions within that. But we we live sort of like the conventuals, um, but also so 
but we get along. I mean, I'm I'm happy when I get to visit the the big big bro the big guys, you know, the conventionals, are, and uh, I I feel at home. So that that puts me at ease that we are living a, a Franciscan life. And although you know, kind of like um, well, Maximilian Colby, um, who was a conventional, you know, they he had quite. Uh, a modern operation, you know. He he publishing the the mac the uh, the magazine of Maculata that you know he had all this equipment and even doing radio himself. And he was preparing to do television actually uh, before he gave his life um, in 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 uh, mar- a martyrdom of love. Uh, but certainly that would be um, its own path. And actually, I could uh, point you also to uh, Father Patrick Mary of our community um, recently is finishing up his um, his degree in um, theology, systematic theology, and his paper actually is on Mary devotion and, and Saint Maximilian Colby, so that you may call, you may want to interview him later. I forgot to tell you uh, about that, but uh, maybe a, a good. So the friar, the Franciscan missionaries, I just we're like a wild olive branch, you know, grafted on to to the to the tree, and and thankfully we're bearing fruit, especially through uh, the Eternal Word Television Network. I promise we're going to get to St. Francis, but maybe just one more question about the Franciscans. So any pilgrim to the Holy Land, so if you go to uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, you go to um, the Basilica of the Annunciation, or wherever uh, in the Holy Land, there's um, the custody of the Holy Land, at least in the Catholic, the Roman, the Western sense, belongs to the Franciscans. Do you know how, and we're talking about Marian devotion and St. Francis, and of course, there's no greater place of Marian devotion than the place where Mary, the mother of Jesus, lived and gave birth to Christ and where she visited Elizabeth. Do you know how the Franciscans became the custodians of the Holy Land? Yeah, I can, uh, it's been a little while, but I, I can give the best the best try and, and not be afraid that I'm wrong. So um there there's the history, you know, is at that time of course the the crusades are going on and Innocent the Third himself uh proclaimed uh uh crusade and, and um so this this desire uh born you know born of the gospel uh, that all would come to love and embrace uh, Christ Jesus. And um, so, you know, the methods maybe, you know, we look upon them in, you know, but knowing from that time and, and of course, that, you know, the struggles of, of life, that even to go to the, the Holy Land and these holy places were difficult. But anyway, so St. Francis uh, is, knows about uh the the crusade and the the siege of Damietta and he he goes uh 
and is able to pass through um, the Christian and the Muslim line and ask to see um, Malik al-Kamar, who uh, is the you know Muslim leader, the Sultan at at the time, and is able to proclaim the gospel to him in reality that he uh, wins over the respect and the care of of the Sultan. And even in the Basilica of St. Francis, there's a, a horn that was given to him by the Sultan. Um, and so they're not converted, but also Francis isn't um, mar- given martyrdom <laughs> at that time. So he, he survives this and uh, is given safe passage uh, to the Holy Land. So this is in 1217. Uh, and um, he spends uh, about a year and a half o- over there and then ends up in Syria, uh, or present-day Syria. And um, from there, uh, one of the friars comes and gets him because, again, the, uh, there's controversy over over the rule and the life of the Franciscans. Uh, and, and the controversy is over whether one part of it is whether or not they can eat meat. <laughs> so <laughs> this is very important to men, and we, so we have to make sure that uh, make sure that this this change in the the rule in the life uh, doesn't you know go through right. So so we can uh, eat meat. And uh, anyway, so Francis goes back. Um, but um, I think it's even earlier. I don't know if it's twelve. 12- 13 or, you know, rather early in the life of the friars who, you know, kind of official um, founding date when they went to see Pope Innocent III was 1209, um, the pilgrims to the Holy Land. So I I think as, as they're, you know, like I said, somewhere around that 1213 and, and even uh, perhaps earlier, Brother Giles may have gone um so the the presence of the Franciscans in the Holy Land is uh, goes back, you know, all, almost to the foundation. And over time, the 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 presence of the friars, which in in the words and leadership of Saint Francis, has always been a, a mission of peace. Now that doesn't mean that we don't proclaim the gospel. It, rather the gospel itself and Jesus Christ himself is our peace, but that we don't take swords. You know, the Franciscans as in in the model and image of Saint Francis, we lay down you know, we for you know, encourage uh non non uh, lethal, you know, uh intervention and diplomacy. Uh but that the so eventually one of the Christian leaders um had helped broker uh with with the Muslims um kind of that the Franciscans would be allowed to stay even during uh kind of Muslim leadership or rule, uh that the Franciscans were were given a, a respect because of their uh, especially because of their poverty and uh, their their presence, uh, humble presence there. Um, so we just celebrated. There was a lot of um, 
there was a lot of ink ink spilled <laughs> in the last few years about that meeting with uh, Francis with uh, Malik Al-Kamar and um, some um, interreligious dialogue uh, with the Muslims on the, uh, by the Franciscans, the major Franciscan orders. Um, so, yeah, so the friars uh, have been there for a long time. <laughs> so uh, One of the things supposedly that St. Francis of Assisi is responsible for is the idea of the Christmas crash. And so it kind of makes sense. You have the mm-hmm. Holy Land, you have the Nativity. St. Francis brought together people in a community who were the living Nativity uh, to help really mm-hmm. give an image to Christ's birth and allow that to be a meditative experience. So I'd say that's probably one aspect of, of Francis's Marian devotion, focusing on the incarnation, Mary's role as the mother of God. Another one probably would be this, what I called the greeting of Mary or the salutation, I, I believe is what it's called. Mm-hmm. The third would yeah. be this antiphon in the office of the passion. And perhaps mm-hmm. the fourth, which you alluded to earlier, was the uh, Portuuncula or the Our Lady of the Angels Feast Day. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know where we want to begin, but perhaps uh, what can you tell us about that? salutation to Our Lady that St. Francis composes? So, the salutation or the greeting as of, of Our Lady is, is a prayer which is really a litany. So we have the, the famous litany of, of Loretto, which was these different... Uh, graffiti scribblings on the Holy House uh, that were brought together. Um, but but Francis uh, speaks to Our Lady, who he experienced, again, especially uh, in that holy place of the Portiuncula, who where he encourages friars never to leave this place. <laughs> like that, that, that was always to be their home, and even when he gathered the friars, uh, he would gather them around our lady in in this this holy place kind of like uh the friars or, or the apostles at pentecost um that they would have a pentecost chapter at the portiuncula in assisi so what our what saint francis says uh or or does with our lady is she's truly our lady and remember this concept of, of chivalry uh, which is is kind of uh, plasticized in our time, but that you would, that a, a a true knight would have a lady that that he would uh, love and respect and fight for, and so he calls uh, her, you know, our lady, hail our lady, you know, hail queen, mother, um, holy mother of God, Mary, and this special title, uh, which. Uh, is important it he calls her the virgin made church and um this this was uh, is important because that what we see in our lady and what we experience in our lady is this this encouragement and in model that we ourselves embrace uh 
our Lord embraced Jesus, and especially now in the Most Holy Eucharist, uh, with that same love that that Our Lady did. And so she um, is chosen by the Father, chosen by our Holy Father in Heaven, to uh, receive the Son. So he, she is consecrated, just as we are consecrated in our, our baptism, to, through the working of the Holy Spirit, receive um, the Son of God, um, first uh, by the proclamation of the Gospel, by faith, uh, and then through living out that our, our life of, of virtue, of holiness, uh, to become a, a dwelling for him, a tabernacle for him. So we, especially in this moment, again, of, of receiving the Holy Eucharist, that we are a, a little, a, a living tabernacle <laughs> that the, that uh, is is to bear forth, uh, bear forth through the working of, of the Holy Spirit, uh, Christ into the world. So this salutation, we're not exactly sure uh, when he wrote it. Um, certainly would have been just the fruit of different prayers um, that Francis made throughout his lifetime, and then at some point uh, was was um, set to pen, <laughs> or set, penned to uh, paper or vellum, whatever. Um. When it comes to this salutation or the greeting of Our Lady in the Franciscan tradition, would this be a prayer that, you know, we pray the rosary every day. Would this be a prayer someone would recite daily if, mm-hmm. if they adhere to the Franciscan tradition? I think perhaps uh, it it probably... I wish I could say that I did, <laughs> but I, could, I, I, I would imagine that especially one of the beautiful things that happened in the, the, um, in the last century was this, with, even with the maybe sometimes difficulty of the historical critical method, was a great, great interest in manuscripts. And finding originals and discovering uh, what was in these big libraries of monasteries and even the Vatican, um, um, finding originals. So I, you know, I'd I'd have to look at uh, a, my book book that would have some of that information, um, but I I wouldn't be surprised if it really didn't come uh, into uh, greater use. Uh, which some of the prayer books and things that would have been made in the last century. I'm I'm not sure that that many uh, would have ever heard this. Um, although there is a collection in the 1500s of the writings of Saint Francis, but again, like the concept that every Franciscan would have uh, a book of the writings of Saint Francis is uh, is probably a ra- rather modern one. You know um, that that most of the Franciscans probably didn't hear hear or have never read uh, most of the things that were written by Francis, except the rule, and probably you know 
probably um, the the accepted Bonaventure's major life, St. Francis, um, was was probably most most of it. Maybe just the last thing I want to touch on, and I think this is an important one, because it's actually highly indulgenced, which, you know, if you celebrate Divine mm-hmm. Mercy Sunday, you can gain a plenary indulgence. And then throughout our devotional mm-hmm. life, we can gain these partial indulgences by the prayers or devotions that we undertake, like Adoration of the Blessed Sacrament or Stations of the Cross or things of that nature. But on, the, on August 2nd, there's this feast, Our Lady of the Angels. Why is that feast important, and how does one observe it in order to gain the indulgence? In, at that time, there were very few places that, that uh, by visiting them, you were able to receive a, a plenary indulgence. That in, uh, plenary indulgences are are the full remission of the temporal punishment due to sin uh, after having you know which is a ultimately the way we we might explain it in a different way today and i I think this is one uh, teaching of the church that truly needs a different way to explain the the fruit of it so um, when we have contact with uh, the love of God, which is who who is incarnate in in our Lord and Jesus Christ, that God is love, and that through this this contact encounter with the saving mystery of of Jesus Christ, work through through the power of the Holy Spirit, a gift to the Eternal Father, that this love transforms the fallen world and restores in a way more glorious uh, the original intention, the original state uh, or destiny of, of the human person. Um, so that love itself uh, is a cleansing action because it is a, a saving effect of the presence of the Holy Trinity in in our our souls, of the working of of God in our our life. So, the Francis, the the most important thing, and uh, one of the most important, I will, <laughs> in Marian devotion is uh, this intuition born uh, of experience that. What happened to our lady, and this is true of the Gospels, that when we, we listen to the Gospels, that the Gospels aren't just something that happened, you know, so many years ago, but what, as the Word is proclaimed, this is happening in our lives. This, this, is, this is lived out through modern, uh, through contemporary experience, through Christian experience, because the grace of, of God uh, is is present, you know, it's not a different, uh, how to say that. Um, so when Our Lady uh, hears the angels speak to her and, and, and says fiat, that that grace to say fiat, to say your will be done, and that the hearing of the gospel uh, worked and, and inspired by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that 
the soul will, will give itself in, in joyful freedom, uh, that, that that grace is lived out today. So Francis finds his vocation, finds clarity in his life in the presence of Our Lady, and, and that this grace, he believes that others who come to Our Lady, this place, this little portion of Our Lady, that they will receive the same grace as well, to hear the gospel and to live it out in, in whatever way that, that they think best or that, that they discover that not everyone can be a friar, not everyone can be uh, a nun, but they can live a holy life inspired by the gospel in whatever state. Um, so at that time, uh, you could visit the, the, the tombs of St. Peter and St. Paul, or you could go to the Holy Land, or you could go to Santiago de Compostela, to the tomb of St. James of Spain. And these were the main pilgrimage spots. And um, in, in uh, England, there, there's Our Lady of Walsingham. I don't know if that, I don't think that was indulgence at the time, but this was a unique grace that he, he asked the Holy Father that those who visited the Portiunqua would be able to receive the same grace that they would receive if they would go on these huge long trips that were dangerous. <laughs> or, you know, you might, you probably won't, most people didn't make it back from the Holy Land, you know, for, for various reasons. Um, and um, that uh, in the, 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 the womb, so to speak, of Our Lady, in the presence of Our Lady, that this grace of, of, of total freedom uh, from the effects of, of sin would be given. And this, in St. Francis' own life, even up to his death, he suffered from uh, a, a concern for whether or not his sins were forgiven. So um, not, to, not to think that because many people suffer uh, with, with this struggle, um, but he found in the presence of Our Lady a great consolation um, that, and I think for us too, sometimes in pastoral ministry, uh, when people uh, are are struggling with their their life with God, um, that I say, well, just go to Our Lady and be with Our Lady, and don't worry. It's she's not replacing God or anything. She's lead. She'll always lead you to God. But for us, sometimes it's so much it's so much easier just to be with Our Lady, and don't be afraid of that, you know, but, um, so, um, Francis proclaims this, uh, indulgence of Portiuncula, which nowadays, at that time, you had to actually go and, uh, to visit that, that holy house, and in Assisi, in the, in the valley underneath the CC. um, but now the, I don't know, I forget when, uh, it was, kind of made a universal feast that even if we visit any church, uh, that we can receive this grace, because indeed um, the presence of Our Lady is uh, in a special way that the church as uh, an image of, uh, or Mary as an image of the church. And so as normal, we, we uh, 
go to confession and receive the Most Holy Eucharist and um, re- reject all sin whatsoever, mortal or venial, and that part is often left out. <laughs> but even that is a work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, who again is love, uh, is is given to us to reject, to desire never to sin again, and in, and and then uh, now to pray for the intentions of our Holy Father. Um, and so the 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 circumstances in, in the how and why um, of receiving a plenary indulgence uh, have differed over the years, but the essential, or, or I would dare say the the real or the the uh, um, the the kernel is that that when we are filled with God, desiring to embrace Him with all that we are, to get give our fiat, that this is a work of God in our lives, and that the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in, uh, in, our, in ourselves and in all our life, uh, all that we are, um, that this causes the, the effect of freedom from, from sin. So we often, we often are defining things in terms of the negative aspect. So we'll have freedom. But the positive is we're embracing God with a greater love. And without that greater love, which is, again, a work of God in our lives, it's useless. Um, how to say that? <laughs> like St. Paul says, we can have faith and all these things. We can move mountains. But without love, we're clashing symbols. You know, you know that... that uh, that's truly the essential, of course, in, in Our Lady, and that's uh, that um, this love of God, um, which is born in her, um, leads to um, this love of the Father for her, you know, that, that um, she will bear forth the, the, the incarnate Lord in, in this mystery of the Nativity, um in in throughout her life that she'll stand at the foot of the cross and then even with the apostles that is with us uh pray teach us how to pray and receive the holy spirit just as she received the overshadowing of the holy spirit and brought, brought forth christ into the world i think one of my understandings of the our lady of the angels feast day is that really uh, you have to find a Franciscan church uh, in order to celebrate it because it's not on the universal calendar. So when I celebrate Mass at St. Oh, Peter not, and St. Hubert Parish, I couldn't celebrate Our Lady oh, of the yeah. Angels. But one time I was able to celebrate it because I was celebrating, uh, I was uh, kind of like uh, the daily Mass celebrant for some religious sisters uh, that were neighboring mm-hmm. to a parish and they were Franciscan in their origin, so I was able to uh, celebrate Our Lady of the Angels on that day uh, with them. So, so it's really something you have to find a Franciscan parish or community to celebrate with. Is that right? Well, you know, I, I possibly, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I would say, okay, so here's my argument. So, 
uh, God inspires uh, Mother Angelica to, uh, to of the Enun- Mary Angelica of the Annunciation to found the Eternal Word Television Network. So, and then and six years later, found the Franciscan Missionaries of the Eternal Word. And in 1991, during the midst of the, the first Gulf War, um, sad, you know, another sadness, uh, but in the midst of this, we begin televising the Daily Mass. And the, the Daily Mass that is celebrated on EWTN and now is seen by more people, we preach to, in one Mass, more people than St. Paul preached to in his entire life, um, that everyone, so to speak, be comes Franciscan because they celebrate with us the Franciscan calendar. And so everyone that tunes into EWTN now is at a Franciscan parish. We're not a parish, but a Franciscan shrine. And so those who are unable to, that especially with... um, uh, John Paul II, Pope St. John Paul II made clear that those, but even before, those who are unable to complete the physical work uh, because of some illness or just uh, incapacity, that they are able to make spiritual uh, visits uh, to these places. And um, so anyways, God, you know, God's not, uh, he's not constrained uh, by, by, uh, the inability of our soul, uh, of our us physically, to to do what we desire. So our desires, at times, uh, fulfill the requirements of comp- of the accomplishment of a deed. So I don't know. I'm 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 I'd I'd always be rather uh, lenient on 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 those, but. I, I do forget, like you're, you're pointing out, I do forget that everyone's not following the Franciscan calendar, <laughs> although they should, although they should, <laughs> indeed. But um, but uh, anyway. Well, this has so, been a great conversation, uh, Father Pascal, about just the Franciscans in general and then how France, how Francis honored the Blessed Virgin and how still mm-hmm. today in the spirit of St. Francis we can honor Mary like he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I, I would, I would place, you know, as a kind of final thought is that the incarnation is uh, the the foundation for all of us for 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 the Christian life, and that this mystery that that God has has chosen our this this young lady. Um, and given her many graces, and through her saying yes, has has brought forth the beloved son. That that the beloved son of the father has become the beloved beloved son of of Mary, and that Mary, just as she showed him forth in to the shepherds at at Christmas, and to the Magi that she continues to sh- to show him forth and that with her and and by following that same uh, loving obedience to the, to the gospel that we ourselves bear bear the fruit of of Jesus in our life um so so that what was our ladies and is our ladies uh, in the present moment 
uh, is also for ours, ours to receive the Word of God and to, to bear it forth uh, to, in fruit, fruitful, a fruitful life. These are excellent reflections that you've given us. And if people want to learn more about the Franciscan Missionaries of the Eternal Word, they can visit MFVA. Is it dot .info? I forget now. Well, we uh, we have we finally were able to get franciscanmissionaries.com, <laughs> um, but if they look up uh, Franciscan missionaries, um, that that they, they should be able to find it. Or like EWTN friars, like people will search for EWTN friars, uh, they'll they'll find us. Yeah. And that's how you can learn more about their religious community founded by Mother Angelica. And in just two weeks, we'll be speaking with another Franciscan missionary of the Eternal Word, Father Joseph Mary, as he reflects on the life of Mother Angelica with all of us. So stay tuned for a few more weeks as we continue to walk lesson by lesson through the book, How They Love Mary. Thanks so much for joining me today, Father Pascal. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks, Father. Thanks for listening to today's show. I hope that the conversation with our guest was one that was enriching for you as much as it was for me. I am so honored that you listen to How They Love Mary. And if you enjoy this podcast, I'd encourage you to rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so that others might begin to see this podcast show up as a recommended podcast for them. I look forward over the next 28 weeks of discussing the different figures from my new book, How They Love Mary, available from Sophia Institute Press. If you haven't gotten a copy yet, head on over to Sophia Institute and acquire your copy today or wherever you get Catholic books. Thanks so much for listening today. May God bless you today and Mary pray for you.